listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 79 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where it turns out dreams don't really come true all the time in Disney World. It happens that way. Mostly it happened for me because I don't like rides, but it turns out for Maryland basketball that also happened. Uh, Ryan is here. Uh, Disney World Disney World lied to us. Uh, well, Disney World is going to be good to someone, and they were they were much better to Xavier, I guess. Why do you say. think that? I mean, Disney did make a Three Musketeers <laughs> movie. I think it made multiple Three Musketeers movies, actually. Has it ever made a movie about turtles? I can't remember. You know, I actually did not make that connection, uh, but... I, I don't think they've made a movie. I don't know if anyone's made a movie about turtles. I'd kind of hope that they didn't. Uh, Tim Curry was the villain in a Disney Three Musketeers movie at one point. So I guess they might have favored Xavier because of that. I don't know. These are weird connections that you make when your basketball team loses and loses not very well in an NCAA tournament game in weird locations. And uh, Matt Allentuck is here, as he has always done, to provide us some brevity and level-headedness when it comes to talking about Maryland basketball. Hello, Matt. What's up, people? You're going to, well, you did a lot of talking people off the ledge this year, and I guess we kind of have to do that again, even though we're now six days after Maryland's exit? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I think you're a weirdo if you thought, you know, this uh, tournament was going to go much further for Maryland, even if they beat Xavier. But, yeah, I mean, it's fair to be pretty disappointed about, you know, the manner in which they... They left the tournament, but, you know, this is pretty much what we expected back. Well, I guess even more than we expected back over the summer when we weren't even sure if this team would make the tournament. This is absolutely correct, and we'll get into that and in all the layers of this discussion. So, Matt, I guess we should start by talking about the game itself and what happened and what went wrong. Maryland was trailing for a lot of the first half. That That's not new, Maryland starting slowly. Then went on a run at the end of the first half. Melo Trimble made a play that... I don't know. It had very, very small shades of Steve Blake's steal against Duke. Very small. Uh, at the end of the first half to give Maryland the lead. And when that happened, I'm like, okay, Maryland's not playing very well. But Mellow Trimble just made a Mellow Trimble play. And I'm thinking, okay, Maryland's got this. And then at the start of the first half, I was thinking, Maryland's really got this. And then they went on that whole run that they often did where they can't score. And the other team scored a lot. And the game was over. It was almost a carbon copy of Northwestern. And it happened again, and it stinks that it happens in the tournament, but that pretty much became the M.O. of this team after the 20-2 and two start, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, again, we kind of said this pretty much since Checo went down, but it's really, really, really hard to run an offense when you only have threats on the perimeter. I mean, Xavier hit Maryland with a ton of different traps and, and sort of mixed up their defense, I don't know, every three or four possessions, and... You know, Maryland just couldn't handle that, and they had nobody on the inside to, you know, feed the ball to, to to sort of break it up or to try to influence Xavier to drop the trap. And, uh, you know, that, that came to bite them, and there's really not much you can say for a team that just didn't have an inside presence all year. And when they finally got it out of Checo, then they lost him for the season. So it's it's pretty frustrating because Maryland did have one of the most talented backcourts in the country. I don't really think that's up for debate. Um but it, you know, they, they can't just have that. Uh, you know, that obviously we could keep talking about how, you know, Turgeon could be looked at as a brilliant coach with a deep tournament run. Had one of his forwards or centers from last year stayed, but 
you know, this is what he was presented with, and it was a it was a challenge to just even fight through the season to get whatever they finished at twenty four and eight or nine or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it was an impressive run that was you know hit with two distinct, I mean, parts of the season. Right, you had the first half of the season where everything was incredible, and the second half of the season where everything sucked. And <laughs> if this record was blended, right, let's say that they didn't go twenty and two, and they went, you know, they had a more average record throughout the entire season and didn't have that slight up and that big up and that big down. You know, this season will be looked at differently, maybe. I don't know. I think Maryland did the best with what it could. I agree with you. Uh, one final podcast trending topic that we have always talked about on this show, because it's something that I was been interested in for a while, is the idea that Maryland could have gone very small and a Warriors death lineup. We've used that phrase, I think, too often when it came to this show. Uh, would that have worked in this game, or was Xavier just too good inside, and were they fooling Maryland too much that that wouldn't have really changed much. Uh, I mean, I think the zone really killed them, and I don't know how much that would have helped putting Justin Jackson on the inside. I'm not sure if this is the game where going super small would have helped. I mean, oddly enough, this was actually I mean, it was a pretty decent defensive game for Maryland, right? They had I more steals so. than... I, had I more steals they were than much better on defense than I thought they'd be. And I mean, yeah, yes, I, I mean... Blue, it got hot in the second half, but I thought in the first half they played some pretty good defense. Some of the best defense they had been playing in this recent stretch. Didn't you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, defensively, they were pretty sound for most of the game besides when Blewett went off. But, I mean, everyone could have figured that that was going to happen eventually. Um, But, yeah, it was the offense that struggled, which, you know, is pretty typical of Maryland teams, at least in recent memory, right? They're much stronger defensively than offensively. But this year, it's hard to blame them because they just didn't really have the tools to balance out, uh, you know, finding enough space for Herter and Trimble throughout the entire game. Yeah, what what do you think the reason why most Maryland teams of recent vintage, at least the Mellow Trimble teams, why have they struggled so much against zones? I know we've talked about it before, but it just seems that every time a team goes into a zone, Maryland's offense completely bogs down. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if there's an exact way to you know pinpoint the one reason, but um, you know Maryland's bigs haven't exactly been offensively polished. Uh, Diamond Stone, you know, was pretty much just strength last year and not much finesse and not much skill i mean he was pretty much just raw power um and robert carter stretched his game out more towards the perimeter last year also so i don't think maryland's really had the you know the really talented power forward or center that's able to you know counteract what the zones you know want them to play into and free up room for maryland shooters on the wing um, you know, this year probably would have been the time to do it because Maryland finally had another, you know, po- real point guard in Cowan to be able to play Trimble off the ball and be able to hit him for, you know, spot up shots. But it just didn't pan out. They just really didn't have the personnel. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what what did you make of the loss to Xavier, which, as I've said, I think is pretty indicative of how the second half of the season went as a whole. And what does it mean, I guess, for this team going forward, just the way that the season sort of sputtered to a halt? Uh, I mean, I think the team doesn't, like, the sputtering to a halt thing, I imagine, wouldn't be too much. Or That's probably not something you focus on that much. I mean, young team, I'm sure a lot of the freshmen were getting tired. And, I mean, the end of the season like this, Matt, I think this is, like, they, they were just, the beginning of the season, they were not playing good teams. End of the season, they, you know, while it might have been a bad year, bad year for the Big Ten, you know, Big Ten was still better than the, you know, the non-conference Americans of the world. And, you know, Maryland's especially final two or three weeks was when they were playing most of the 
good teams that were in the Big Ten. So I think they just played better teams, were starting a lot of freshmen, and just weren't, you know, this was, it, it, it basically evened out because that 22 stretch was ridiculous, and you're like, well, strength of schedule, st- still still good start against any, any schedule, but strength of schedule was at least a little bit of, you know, obviously why that happened. And, yeah, I mean, I think 24-9, I think that's something Maryland will take anyway, you know, regardless of strong start and weak finish. I think that's that's pretty much best you could have really hoped for. And 12-6 you know, and six in conference. I mean, I feel yeah. like people forget that, too. Maryland had a real shot at actually winning the conference. Yeah, tied, <laughs> that, tied for that, second a, in the Big Ten. That's a lot of the Big Ten wasn't very good up until the tournament, it turns out. But, I, I mean, again, the, I don't the think Big Ten Maryland still had... complaining about this. The Big, the Big Ten still had enough teams that, you know, that makes that at least a they, fairly... They had, they had enough teams with more talent than Maryland did. This and experience. This is true. Uh, quickly on the freshmen, since this is really what Maryland fans and the team has to build on going forward, Matt, I thought that Kevin Herter and Justin Jackson both had very good games in the tournament. Jackson hadn't had a great game in a while. Uh, neither really did Kevin Herter, but both played incredibly well. Herter shot the lights out. Jackson was more versatile. You had one of those quiet games from Anthony Cowan. That's kind of how it went for the freshmen all year. It would be one or two had really good games, and then the other turned out to be pretty quiet. But if Maryland's going to get those kind of performances from those players as they get older and you figure they'll get better as players, that, as you said, that for, this freshman class had the potential to be one of the best in recent Maryland history. And you saw examples of it why all season, but then you saw it in the tournament as well. As you figure these teams, this team's going to be in the tournament a lot in the future, and if you get performances like that, more often than not, you're going to win games when you're in the NCAA tournament with games like that. For yeah, while we're on it, also it's absolute garbage, trash, horrible that none of those three were added onto any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. We know. We we, we, we said our point on that before. It's it's the idea that there was three of them. So I don't know. Whoever thought about that was stupid. The end. literal, Literal trash. But continue. Yes, but the but with those guys, their overall seasons, they each had their moments, as I mentioned before, but how all three of them together have been so good, way better than we thought, way quicker than we thought. So now you think about their development curves and what they can do with sophomores, and you start to think, wow, that that's the foundation from which to build not just a team that makes the tournament, but a team that can do something in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, Marturgeon found three outside the top 50 steals. Right. I mean, maybe Justin leaves early, but chances are these guys are all here for three years and they were just incredible finds. I mean, Justin was kind of an accident that just, you know, wound up happening after UNLV fired their coach and Justin wanted out and, you know, just landed. I don't even know how it happened, but, uh, you know, Mark Turgeon found a way to bring him in. And and that's an incredible, incredible find. And, you know, Maryland has a few recruits to add next year and if they can all you know, mesh pretty quickly. This team is going to be in the tournament, yeah, for however long, you know, that freshman core is around. Yeah, this is absolutely true. And, Ryan, I think the other thing that we have to say is there were, I mean, yes, it was largely Mellow Trimble and the three, and the three freshmen and then Michael Tchaikovsky at times, but I think we saw that some of Maryland's depth options turned out to be a bit better than we thought, at least in the spurts, which, again, Maryland isn't recruiting the guys that Kentucky and Duke and – North Carolina are necessarily recruiting, and that's their recruiting class next year, too. But some of these depth guys that Mark Turgeon has been able to find, has been able to use, has provided depth when Maryland has needed it. And 
again, most of them are coming back. So the idea that Maryland's going to be a deeper team next year is something I think that can be gotten behind, I guess. Um, I mean, I think Maryland will be deeper next year, but not necessarily. The the depth this year was, I mean, definitely a concern for a lot, at a lot of points, I'd say. Cause yeah, they of just, course it was. When, right? you know, when the starters weren't in the offense, you know, anytime you don't have your best offensive players in, your offense is going to struggle, sure. But this offense really would go in the tank sometimes. And I think, uh, you know, he's got them fairly – set up well in terms of depth, depth purposes for next year. You wonder, you know, Dion Wiley, you can, you know, I think everyone expected a better season from him, but you still got to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt for uh, for the knee injury as, you know, I, Turgeon definitely did. And I think, you know, we, everyone, everyone we thought he would have been certainly better this season, but, you know, maybe, maybe next year he's, he's a little bit more back, uh, you know, Jalen Brantley definitely improved this year, and you wonder what he what he'll do next year. I think it'll really be about whether the redshirt freshmen are going to be uh, developed enough to contribute next year, and to see what the uh, what the two freshmen bring. Okay, so let's now get into that and what this team is going to look like next year. Ryan, I'll start with you, and then we'll go to Matt. The only two players that we know are leaving are graduating. I guess LG Gill and Demonte Dodd. After that, Maryland's roster is otherwise 100% full, and this assumes that there are no transfers and that Melo Trimble does not leave for the NBA draft. So the two recruits that they're getting in, obviously, are Bruno Fernando, who's a good big man from IMG Academy, and Daryl Morrisell, who I believe is from Baltimore, if I'm correct. Somebody can yes. correct me on that. Okay, perfect. So other than that, Maryland's roster is totally full. And as we mentioned before, you now have... Micah Thomas and Joshua Tamayic, who are the two players you were hinting at that are at the uh, more small forward position, who are going to be redshirt freshmen next year, who you figure are going to play at some point, which will definitely add to the front court depth and everybody else returns. So seeing that roster and assuming no changes, we'll talk about the changes in a second. What do you think this roster, how is it going to be composed? And how do you think it plays out when it comes to next season, knowing what we know now about the group that's coming back? So if we're if we're assuming Trimble stays for this scenario, I think um, well, also the both of the redshirt freshmen, uh, you know, Tomajic and Micah Thomas, they're more. I think they, I mean, they're just so they're they're so thin right now. But I feel like they both are more power forwards, probably. Or My, Micah Thomas, six seven, could play either. But Tomajic, six nine, I feel like seems more of a four to me. Um, but I think, you know, uh, what's Bruno Fernando, the center recruit from uh, IMG Academy, is going to be big. I think we're going to see if Trimble's back, the team lo- looks a lot like it did this year, with the big difference being that Tchaikovsky gives them a bigger post presence on offense. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what Fernando's strengths are yet, uh, if, how, how developed he might be on offense. If you're a big man, generally it takes a while. But... Um, I mean, I think you'd see a team that's a lot like the one you have now with a little bit more depth and a little bit more depth, except, you know, the front court situation still is dicey. Now you lose two front court players and, you know, Thomas and Tomajic are, it, it's still unclear where they're going to be at this point, or, you know, at the beginning of next season. Um, so I think if, you know, if you get, say, a, a Jared Nickens or Dion Wiley transfer or a Mello goes to the NBA, I think 
a another grad transfer big man is probably going to be what Mark Turgeon's looking for. Uh, mm-hmm. The LG Gill situation didn't really work out. It was he just wasn't he wasn't really a big man. That wasn't really the role that he played at Duquesne. Round hole is what it was. Um, so I imagine uh, if you know if uh, if Trimble leaves, that you know grad transfer big man is probably still number one on the list. Okay, Matt, I want to get your opinions on the recruits. These guys are coming to Maryland, so there's no worry about that. Uh, I want to get your ideas of what these guys can bring in their two individual positions, what you might expect from them, I guess, in year one, and then figuring Mello's draft prospects, because that's the biggest question about this program, again, for the second straight offseason. But first, go into the talk, I guess, on Bruno Fernando and Daryl Morsel. Yeah, well, I haven't seen, I haven't gotten to see either of them play in person. But... Obviously, but you probably know more about them than we do. Uh, I mean, listen, Fernando's going to be thrown into probably more than he can handle from the beginning because that's just the nature of, mm-hmm. of Maryland's roster right now. And, you know, it's something we kind of saw with LG Gill, right, even though he only had one year to play. But he was, you know, forced immediately into a position that, you know, he was he was pretty uncomfortable with. I think that was pretty much, you know, obvious from the first game. And I don't know how, you know, how Fernando's game's going to translate into, you know, a big power conference like the Big Ten right away. Um, but he's going to have to play major minutes because that's pretty much it. Um, assuming Checo's healthy, he's going to start and play the bulk of the minutes. But as we've seen, you know, with him, health has been a serious concern now for two years. And mm-hmm. Maryland doesn't really have a plan B. Um, even Bender, I guess, would be that. But, you know, Bender is not is not a center, or at least not a center that's going to that Maryland's going to be able to thrive with. Um, he's more of a plug in at a power forward position, you know, playing 10 or 15 minutes a game. So. Um, you know, a lot of weight's going to be put on Fernando, which is probably unfair, but, um, you know, I, I, I can't see another way for Maryland to, you know, be able to slowly introduce him like they were able to do with Diamond towards the beginning of last year. Um, as far as Morsel, um, that's going to be really confusing. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's a lot of that's going to have to do with Mello's decision, obviously. But even if Mello uh, doesn't come back, there's still a pretty clogged backcourt, right? I mean, Cowan's going to demand major minutes. Herger's going to demand major minutes. Uh, Justin Jackson, you know, played more of a guard at, at times this year. Um, you know, I don't know how many minutes are going to are going to be available for him also, and that, again, depends on Deion Wiley and Darren Nickens um, if they're still with the team next year. So, you know, it's a lot of confusion, I think, right now, which is fine and normal. Um it's still March but, 2017. They don't play games until November. Yeah, I mean, they have time. Um, I don't know exactly what recruits Mark Turgeon still has on his radar uh, as a backup plan in case, you know, someone transfers or Mello decides to leave. Maybe there isn't a plan in motion. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, Mar- Maryland also has those two mystery guys on the bench too, right? Like Micah Thomas and Josh Tamayich. We don't really know what they can bring yet either. I mean, from what we saw at the beginning of last year when Maryland uh, allowed media at one of their open practices. Uh, to my age, seems like more of a stretch player than, yeah. than an inside player, uh, which doesn't exactly help what Maryland needs. So I'm not sure exactly where his fit would be either. But uh, Micah Thomas is someone who I wished got to play this year. Um, he literally fits everything you want in an NBA body. I mean, he's just really skinny at this point. But, 
he is extremely long and seems like exactly the person you want up on presses and you know his wingspan is literally incredible he seems to have a you know he was known in high school as a three-point shooter and obviously Maryland could use some of that too so I think that he could be a real you know key component to this roster if he's able to fill out his body which I mean Kyle Tarp has been you know a magician (laughs) with lately so I don't really see that being a problem Um, you know I think he's probably the guy that we're going to forget about a little bit because we're going to talk about all the new recruits. But um, I really, really think that he's going to be, you know, key to, to Maryland's team, you know, in the near future. I would not be surprised by that at all. I think Thomas obviously is more likely to play big minutes next season than Tamayich. I think just because Tamayich uh, is a lot more of an unknown quantity, obviously coming over from the Canary Islands and seems like one of those Mark Turgeon stash players like Bender was and Len and Tchaikovsky to a lesser extent. Now, Matt, what about Melo Trimble's draft prospects? We see first draft express, I think mock draft, he's not on it. Uh, I don't know really how much his stock was affected by this year, and I don't know how much of it could be changed by coming back for his senior season. Obviously, Maryland fans would love it, but what do you think? It's obviously a very uncertain situation. I think in some ways it's more uncertain than it was a year ago. Uh, you, again, know the NBA very, very well. You know what NBA teams like in their guards. How does Melo Trimble fit in into one of the crazy deepest drafts we've seen in a long time? Yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm thankful I'm not Melo Trimble in this, in this position for a second year in a row because uh, it is an incredible, you know, incredibly tough situation to try to reason yourself out with, and now Melo has to deal with it for a second year in a row, and you know, it seems kind of unfair for someone who is so accomplished and, you know, has had really an incredible college run, um, you know, to be stuck in this position where he's not sure, again, you know, stay or to go. And this is a decision I'm sure that he had thought after last season, thinking, okay, this is my final year and things will clear themselves out, you know, after an impressive junior year. And he did have a pretty, you know, solid junior year, but it, it wasn't the type of improvement that you know maybe Caleb Swanigan saw where you know he went from a guy who everyone thought was a bust and overrated and transformed his body completely and now he's pretty much a for sure first round pick um but for Trimble a lot of problems that he has are things that he can't solve um he's listed at what six three he's probably a little under that his body is a little bit shaped like a box you know he doesn't have the wingspan that other players like Justin Jackson have that are well, going to benefit I, them. Come I, I heard on. six six three height with six two wingspan or something like that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's probably about fair, and that's not really the dimensions that the NBA is looking for. Right. We know we know by now that Melo Trimble isn't the fastest point guard, and a lot of it's based on, you know, his his brains when he's on the court because he really knows what to do with his frame and with his body and how to get to the rim, and he's strong and everything like that, but. You know, I'm not sure if he's NBA strong. And again, these are just a lot of questions that I'm not sure another year in college are going to solve. Um, and it's tough. Uh, and he waits another year, he gets a college degree, which I'm sure isn't his top priority because all of these guys, you know, have to go through college to play in the NBA. And I'm sure that that's most of their dreams. But And you can re- still come back and get your degree whenever you want. That is also true. Um, you know, it comes down to so, so many things that we're just never going to know you know, inside of Melo Trimble and his family's brains. Um, we don't know whether money is something that, you know, Melo Trimble's looking at for right now. We don't know if Melo Trimble is just totally disinterested in college anymore. I mean, he's pretty much done everything there is to do besides win a championship, which, I mean, next year doesn't seem like that year either. Um, you know, 
I don't know if he'd get drafted if he put his name in for this upcoming year, but same thing might happen next year and maybe going to Europe is the right route for him, you know, sooner rather than later to start making money. And while he's still young enough to maybe come back to the NBA after spending a few years in Europe, which you've seen with a few guys, uh, or maybe he wants to battle through the D league. There's just so many, uh, you know, ongoing things. Maybe he decides to once again, go to the draft combine and try to, you know, see what his stock is again. But that also is just an enormous amount of pressure. He's got to leave school a little bit early, take night classes after he's training for the combine. This is literally things that I talked to Jake Lehman about last year. And he knew that he was going to the draft, but he still had to, you know, get his degree. And, and Mello has to still keep passing classes just in case he comes back. So maybe this is a decision that Mello wants to get done soon. I, I just don't know. There's just so many. I feel like fans definitely overlook how stressful this entire situation is, especially to somebody who's so young i mean we're that age i don't think i could make that decision like <laughs> nope. it's completely wild but all right that's my run on a, a uh, I, yeah. I got i got a question for matt so if the you, you seem like you you presented a lot of option reasons for him maybe to leave instead of stay what do you think is the best argument for him like that he should come back Oof. <laughs> yes that's kind of tough i mean i'm sure yeah. that i'm sure that Maybe on the inside, Maryland thinks that it has a real shot. I mean, from from us on the outside, we're thinking, you know, Maryland is probably a tournament team next year, but I think it'd be weird to expect them to make a Final Four run based on the roster we have yeah. in front of us. It's not mm -hmm. exactly the same field that we had um, two years ago with that whole monster team. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if there's a single thing that, Mer that Mellow Trimble can do next year that NBA teams will wake up and think, I want Mellow Trimble. And, you know, that's kind of a decision that Caleb Swanigan had. I just keep coming back to him just because he's a Big Ten point of reference and somebody who came back after not being sure and incredible, like just improved his stock tremendously. But for him, right, he had a body issue. His, he was a little right. overweight and not, not so athletic, and he just came back a totally different person. I'm just not sure Melo Trimble has any single thing that he can improve besides shot consistency, mm -hmm. which, listen, if he, sh if he shoots 45% from three, He's still not going to be a first-round pick. Um, right. I don't really know if I have a real case thinking right now why Mellow Trimble should stay. Um, but there aren't hmm. also super compelling reasons for him to leave with NBA uncertainty either. So it's this horrible middle ground, and you feel for him. Yeah, I mean, that. it's like that thing, yeah. He is in a horrible state of limbo right now where the NBA isn't necessarily possible. Well, it might not be possible. But going back to college might not do much. So you're in this awkward middle zone where which is literally decision might be the best it's, decision. It's so crazy to think about, too, because we've watched Melo Tremble for, for three years, and he's been the basketball god in all of Maryland. And to think that he isn't for sure an NBA draft pick just goes to show how competitive that league is. And it shows how weird the league is, too. Uh, Ryan, I want to ask a question quickly about transfers. This is not something that we have any intel on but I want to go into it because it will play a factor this year, as we said, um, especially in the backcourt. Um, if Melo Trimble does come back, even if he doesn't come back, the backcourt's really crowded. And if he does come back, the backcourt is extremely ridiculously crowded. Jared Dickens, Deion Wiley, and Jared Dickens are all sort of fighting for the same playing time. Wiley has two years of eligibility left. Uh, Brantley and Nickens have one. 
I do not know how that it would work for them because obviously they couldn't be grad transfers at least yet. Although, you know, we don't know these situations, but it seems like last year we thought there might be transfers and it turned out there weren't any. Doesn't it feel like this year, and this is not a slight on any of those players, that it feels like a transfer might be more likely just because of the numbers game going on back there? Um, I think it might be more likely just because you have guys like, I mean, specifically with Wiley and, uh, and Nickens, you had guys who really just didn't, especially down the stretch, didn't play very much this year. And you can, I feel like it either goes, they're like, hey, I didn't play that much, but like, it's all good. Going to work harder in the off season. Try to, you know, get, you know, get myself in a better spot for senior year. Maybe things just work out better, shoot better as a senior. I don't know. Or they say, you know, wow, well, like, you know, I, well, one thing with the, they might be able to grad transfer. We're not, uh, none of us, I guess, uh, know their academic situation. But, uh, you know, Suleiman, Rashid Suleiman grad transferred to Maryland after his three years. It's certainly something that people can do. Um, we, I guess we don't exactly know. And I think, um, you know, they might say, well, you know, I'm a player. I should be able to go where I want to really get some meaningful playing time my senior year. And I want to go somewhere where I know that's going to happen. Uh, so that, you know, that could happen. We like, like you said, we don't have any Intel on it. And so I don't want to like, I hate speculating like this, I guess. Uh, so I guess I won't say anything more, but I, I think it's something that, you know, those players, you know, maybe they'll look into it, maybe they won't. And, you know, we'll, we'll be able to talk about it more if they do. I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the flexibility thing really, there's the only, Matt, I'd like to hear your opinion on this too. I feel like in terms of, oh, they really need someone at this position. It's really just the front court. They need, they need someone who can like really play meaningful minutes there. I think that is the only like spot where you'd look for someone coming into the program specifically, I think. Yeah, I mean, if Melo Trimble comes back, I don't see any minutes for Jared or Dion. Uh, I, don't yeah. think, yeah, I don't really think that that's even... I, think, I mean, we saw it, right, as, as the year went on. Uh, Mark Turgeon tried to find time for both, and both just, I mean, frankly, weren't good enough to play. And... For Jared, that's been the past two years, and for Dion, obviously, we gave him some slack with the knee injury, but, I mean, he was healthy by the end of the year, you know, not playing up to potential. And with, especially with, you know, Maryland bringing in a new guard recruit, and Jalen Brantley played, you know, out of his mind for a good chunk of the season. I mean, he was really, really, really good. Um, I don't, I really just don't see time for for either one of them, especially if they're going to introduce Micah Thomas into the, you know, into the backcourt also, so... It's a really hard decision again for them. Also, transferring schools is, sounds awful. Um, all their especially are, when you've been there for already three years. Yeah, I mean, all their friends are here. Um, that's you know obviously something that they're going to have to talk about themselves. But from an outsider view looking in, I just don't see playing time for either one of them. Even if Melo Trimble comes back, I think it would be hard for them to get a ton of playing time, just because you got to give a lot of minutes to Cowan. Morrisel's going to see minutes because he's a highly rated recruit. Herder's going to need to see minutes. Brantley might be your primary backup. And then you've got Thomas and Jackson and the like. So it definitely seems like these tough decisions. And these are two decisions that are not going to happen overnight. These are decisions that will take gradual time. And obviously here on Testudo Times, we will cover those situations for you when it comes, when they happen. And who knows who could be grad transferring at this point. 
at the positions where Maryland needs it. But again, if something comes up, we'll let you know. And we'll also let you know, of course, if Maryland is involved in any recruiting for prospects for the rest of the year. Because as it stands, if there are no other changes, Maryland's roster is full. Although I do believe there's a preferred walk-on or something. I remember seeing that a couple months back. I don't know if anybody remembers what I'm talking about at this point. But does somebody remember what I'm talking about? Preferred walk-on, something like that? Um... I don't, I don't think – I mean, they're not losing any walk-ons this year. No. So I, I don't know. It's maybe something that I remember. I saw it on uh, our, our friends from 24-7. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I have no clue. So maybe it was something that already happened. Well, I, can't, well, one, I can't give you the answer on that. Well, one thing something I remembered. One thing I'm very curious about is just to give Mark Turgeon how – you know, and they, it was just like this last year on a bigger scale. But, um, you know, the, how do you plan for – you know, players on your team is making these decisions, and then you got to reach out to maybe recruits or people who could potentially transfer. This but, is this is why what Mark Turgeon did last year was yeah. literally the most, the least talked about great thing ever that I have no idea how he accomplished. But what he did last year, I mean, he had an incredibly, incredibly difficult job following the end of last season, and he came out with Justin Jackson. So, yep. Yeah, because I guess you, I mean, you can reach out to a recruit, but you can't tell him he has a spot. And then finally, once he does, you have to convince him that, oh, no, we weren't really talking to you that much before, but now we really want you. And that, I'm sure, is an incredibly tough step. And, and Melo Trimble waited until the last hours of the, the last, last night to make his decision. Yep. We, all, we, we, all, I, we all asked Justin Jackson this probably multiple times. We were like, come on, you had to know that Melo's coming back. And he's like, nope, nope. I didn't know anything. I don't buy um, that for one second. I'm not sure I believe that, but it was it was uh, it, it was interesting because even when uh, when he came back after his freshman year, uh, you know, Diamond Stone was like, "Yeah, I knew, I knew he was coming back." Uh, <laughs> yeah. so and too. And um, if you get a if you get someone if you get a grad transfer, if if which mainly we keep saying. Nickens and Wiley, because really those are the only two possible guys on that front, I think. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the timeline for when they would announce their transfer would be, but it probably would be within the next two weeks, I want to say. I I don't know. I don't know. I I think it could happen longer. It could take longer, because I don't think the end of the (laughs) period for 2017 eligibility is till the end of May. So it it could be a while. Definitely a, a plausible well, I, I, don't, I feel like they wouldn't want to wait too yeah, long. Yeah, I know, so. but it seems like with this decision, it's one that could take longer than, I guess, two weeks. And the final thing I want to mention on this before we switch gears to the women, because they're still playing, and we should talk about them with a lot of depth. Uh, we, I want to mention Mark Turgeon for a second. As Matt mentioned, he did an incredible job at the end of last season getting all the pieces together for this team, which definitely helped them overachieve. You saw the typical Mark Turgeon should be canned stuff after the exit from the tournament, which is frustrating. Obviously, we've all said our piece. I went on a Twitter rant about it. You could go back and look at my timeline from last week if you want to see it. Matt, this was obviously Mark Turgeon's best coaching job, and he got a contract extension and a well-deserved contract extension for it. Uh, I, I guess, do you have any thoughts on it that we haven't already beaten that single dead horse into the ground? I guess. Um, I just think the same people calling for Mark Turgeon's head are going to argue that he's a bad coach unless he wins a championship every year. So, I mean, I don't even think it's really worth talking about too much. I think we've displayed a million and a half different reasons why Mark Turgeon has really, really done a great job. 
in his really short time here and transformed a program that was pretty irrelevant for the most part of the past decade or so and turned them into a real, I mean, at this point they're, they look like a perennial tournament team um, that people were still banking on with their own personal brackets. Uh, Why do people even, do that? Why even our own, that? our own Jared Goldstein did it. And we were like, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, I'll show all the fans that uh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for him. And we're like, what are you doing? No. Why are you drinking that Kool-Aid? I mean, if you picked Maryland to lose to Xavier, nobody's really surprised because they turned out to make the Sweet 16 and they always do that. Yeah, because Xavier, uh, uh, like a point I think that really needs to be made is Xavier didn't have two of its best four players, That's including true. its leading scorer. Xavier was about to be really, really good this year. This is, and this the is, fact that they're even like this good now is is impressive. Imagine, well, I mean, imagine a lot of teams to be awful as most people thought they'd be. So I didn't think I mean, Maryland had any chance in a matchup against Florida State, which is why I had them in the Sweet Sixteen. But anyway, speaking well, I mean, of that, oh, Florida State awful is probably a bit of it. They play, well, they, they play, they play. Awful. They were awful, and Florida Gulf Coast gave them a good run for their money. Anyway. Uh, the leader in the Test Student Times bracket, well, thank you for reminding me, currently has 52 points. He's two points ahead of a bunch of people with 50, down then 49. I'm somewhere in the middle. I had a really good first two days, and then the weekend got me. We don't talk about our brackets all that often, uh, but my national title pick's still alive. I think most people, unless you had Villanova or Duke, are probably still alive. I don't know many people who did. Uh, so it's still going, and we'll provide updates on later podcasts as to how the tournament challenge is going. There is another basketball team that is still alive, Ryan, and that's the women. And we ranted, Thomas ranted last week, about how horribly unfair the women's seed was at getting a three seed in UConn's region, which was 100% ridiculous. It still is. And they went out and responded to it by beating their two teams, Bucknell and West Virginia, by a combined, like, 70 points. I think they were angry. Yeah, I mean, it's really, now's the time that... I've, you know, we probably say this every year, but like, you really need to pay attention to this team because they're really good. And you know, a lot of people don't pay attention to them for most of the year, and it's really not too late. Like, they're playing on Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Okay, that uh, you know, Thomas, and I don't know if Justin will be there, but we'll have people on the scene. And I mean, they win one game, and then they probably play UConn. Well, so no, they are going to be... play. There's no way they're not playing UConn if they win. I'm sorry, the, UConn's not losing. The, uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean that's pretty There's much no that's pretty much what I said. Uh, yeah. But like, yeah, this is I don't know. It's it's the time to start watching because you know the like the the times I've watched this team, it's it, I don't know. It's it's very exciting. It is incredibly exciting, and they just I mean last year, of course. Washington was a different case because of a certain Kelsey Plum, who is now the leading scorer in the history of women's college basketball. But, you know, West Virginia won the Big 12, and Maryland ran them out of the gym. Like, Maryland is really good. You might see that three by their name, but they're not a three seed. They probably also, in most normal years, wouldn't be a two seed. They're that good. And they got a bit of a break because Duke, who lost one of their better players, lost at home to Oregon. So Maryland... Obviously, you would have liked to see them play Lexi Brown and Duke and beat them because that's what we are as Maryland fans. We want to see Duke lose all the time. But playing Oregon, Ryan, is a, definitely a bit of a break and probably a good break. It won't be an easy game, obviously. You know, Sweet 16 teams are good no matter what their seed number is. But, you know, this is a team that is possibly going to get a chance to play UConn again. 
in a UConn home environment, and they gave UConn a real good run for their money earlier this season. And Maryland hasn't had uh, has had a number of chances to beat them and couldn't. But you know, for Story Walker, Kimbrough, and Bree Jones, who are seniors, it's gonna be their last chance. And this is still, even with you know, with them playing the way that they are, this is an amazingly good team. And I think they've got every chance to beat UConn, even though it's essentially a UConn home game that they might be playing in. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was at that UConn game earlier. Uh, it was a little bit like the Maryland Wisconsin game. Um, you know, it was a it was comfortably a UConn win, but Maryland was in the game for a lot of it. And I mean, they're playing now as well as they are during the year. They probably got well. They they definitely got underseeded because they didn't. You know, they pay, they played a poor schedule, and the committee doesn't really take uh, you know margin of victory into account that much. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, watch, it'll be fun. Yes. Saturday morning and then Monday night would be their elite eight game against UConn. So they would, Matt, do you have any comments on the, the, can we, can we just have a, women? can we have a quick discussion on destiny Slocum? Yes, we can. Yes. And that shot, obviously her name is destiny. So we all knew it was going to happen. I'm sorry for that pun. I mean, forgive me. Uh, that, she's awesome. Like, she's so I, awesome. It's I screamed. amazing. I was screaming. Like that was just. So ridiculous. She held her follow through. And she was pretty, yeah, she's pretty nonchalant about the whole thing. (laughs) She she held her follow through on a three quarters court soccer throw in chuck. Like, there's just no words. Uh, No, there are. There are many words. Most of them are like expletives, so we can't say them on this show. But it, it is, she is so, I mean, even when, again, that UConn game, which is the game that most of us watched, I mean, she was amazing. Like, yeah, it's I mean, insane how good she is. And again, I mentioned Shatori Walker, Kimbrough, and Bree Jones, who both ended up having their numbers retired. Like, they're legends for the Maryland women's program. And Maryland, for two straight years, has had insane recruiting classes. So this program it has been good. It will be good for a long time. And Destiny Slocum's going to be here for three more years. And that uh, is a treat for all of us. My last thing before I depart, because I have to go to work, but... This is something I brought up earlier, and I'm curious everyone else's thoughts. Destiny Slocum is College Park's new Mellow Trimble, yes or no? <laughs> it's, poten- it's potentially true. I mean, Mellow Trimble captured uh, Maryland, College Park and Maryland sports in a way that, you know, not many athletes can. I think the last that did it was Grievous. To a lesser extent, Stefan Diggs did it too. Ryan, I, I mean, Stefan Diggs was the only one in football I could think that captured all of our imagination in a way that not many athletes could. But Destiny Slocum has the potential to do so. Like, she's that good. And, yeah, unfortunately, it's women's basketball, which means that not as many people are watching it as they should. But I could totally see that happening. There isn't a Maryland athlete that has the potential to just take the campus in the palm of their hands and run with it in the way Destiny Slocum has. Yeah, and I think with, you know, with Destiny, all of a sudden without Shatori and Brianna Jones there, it's it's very much going to be her show. And I mean, that should just mean more, uh, you know, more threes and crossovers for all of us to watch. Yes, 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 yes. And UConn isn't going to win every game for the rest of time. They're going to lose at some point. And you can imagine Destiny Slocum being the reason why a Maryland team beats them. Maybe it's this year's team. Maybe it happens next Monday, but you can imagine that would be the case. She, she is that good. So, Matt, you go off and work. Thanks for all your help during the season, and you'll be back on when a mellow Trimble decision comes down and when transfer things happen. You'll be back, of course, because Absolutely. we need you. Uh, Ryan, 
quickly before we end the show, we always sure. like to end these programs by talking about um, the other sports that are going on. Plenty of other things are happening despite the basketball that has subsumed all of our lives. So please provide the great people with an update on such things. Sure thing. Well, we got football spring practice going on, but uh, the first, um, the first the first media availability practice was rained out. So yeah, we'll have updates from spring practice, which will be cool. You get to meet, you get to read a little bit more from uh, Thomas and Jared Goldstein. Uh, but you know, men's across now dropped to number ten after losing to Notre Dame, which is. Understandable loss. Nova, which was a which was a bit of a shocker, but uh, yeah, Maryland. You know, Maryland was at, was number one not too long ago. Then they're still pretty so, good. Don't, still, don't worry about no, it. don't. I'm, n number ten is still still nothing nothing to frown at. Uh, softball went three and two in its first home weekend of the season, which is the first winning weekend they've had this season. Uh, what else? What else we got? Baseball. Uh, Maryland baseball, after a after a bit of a rough start against some quality competition, is looking better. They uh, by the time you read this, they will listen to this. They probably will have played their second game against UNC Wilmington. They lost their first one, but uh, yeah, you know one of the one of the good things about Maryland is that chances are any sport that isn't a revenue sport is doing really well. And that, that pretty much that, that that's happening now too. Women, women's lacrosse also doing very well. well I don't know they always do. I don't think anybody's surprised by this development. <laughs> no, no, I imagine they were not. No, because they're always good. And the end of last year, we've joked about that a lot. Aside, uh, they're still incredibly good. So, we when do you think we're going to get a media available spring practice? Like um, now, I, I have it in front of me. I believe it's the. I believe it's the thirtieth. They they, okay, they told so, us they told us in advance. But, so uh, very very yeah. soon we will have a practice where we can see interesting things happening. I think they also yeah. got their first committed recruit for twenty eighteen as well. Uh, they did. Darrell Nachami, I think. I, pro I, I I there's I can't butcher the name, but there's a good chance I pronounced it wrong. He's a defensive end from Greenbelt. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll be we'll be kicking up the recruiting coverage. Essentially, we're we're on you know Maryland's on spring break right now, but once uh we'll have some basketball stuff, and then you know once once we get back from spring break, recruiting I think is really going to heat up. We'll have a lot more uh, we'll have a lot more coverage on that. Um, if you have if you have anything you want to see from us in spring practice, comment in the article. Caleb Henderson. Caleb Henderson. Caleb Henderson. Yes, don't worry. We 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 will. I think we, we're going to investigating that. the the Caleb Henderson situation. We'll probably talk to some uh, some commits, maybe maybe try to get a Kasim Hill interview. Uh, once once we once we have something to say, really, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's weird. We're it, it's the off season now, but you know we got NFL draft to look forward to, NBA draft, uh, football recruiting, and then you know talking a bunch of stuff about what just happened this basketball season. That's yeah. that's that's basically that that's the deal. That is the that is the sneak peek at everything that's going to happen until September. <laughs> that is pretty much what's going to happen, and I will do this preview for next week's show, whenever that is. Uh, as, as you know, Ryan is graduating, so as we do on this site when editors graduate, we obviously, they don't go away, they stick around, but obviously yeah. the day-to-day -day stuff needs to be covered by people that are at school, and uh, you know Thomas is already 
uh, been around this show a lot, but the other two editors, which you have heard, uh, who you have heard of and you are reading and we have mentioned on this show, they will probably get their first, pod, uh, first podcast appearances next week so you can all meet them and get used to their voices as the <laughs> podcast continues on with me as long as I don't have a job myself to do said show. But as we said, Ryan will be around. We'll definitely have him on when big stuff breaks. Of course, stay tuned with us because as soon as the Mellow Trimble decision happens, if there are transfers with basketball otherwise, uh, and if there's recruiting stuff and with spring practice for football, these guys are going to still be around and, of course, continue to come to us for a spring sports news. We cover it better than anybody else. So oh, yeah. please enjoy this show enjoy the maryland women this weekend hopefully by the time we come to you they've pulled off a great upset and they've ended uconn's winning streak which would be amazing uh even if it's not it's still been a great year for them stay tuned for us you'll enjoy the podcast next week with the new editing crew but until then of course go terps